right, this morning's reading is Mark 9, verses 20 through 27. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. This is God's word. It's true, and it's given out of his love. You guys can be seated. All right. I'm not quite done yet. <laughs> I get to keep talking. Uh, but we have the privilege this morning to have another guest pastor uh, preaching for us. He is uh, familiar here. He's been here several times. We love having him down here. Um, it's Andy Beams from Denver. I'm going to invite him up here, and um, let's give him a warm welcome, guys. We're, we really appreciate Andy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me this morning. All right, what short person has been here? Hold on. All right. <laughs> um, I enjoyed my drive-in this morning. I live in Denver, and I uh, had about an hour uh, drive-in, and it was beautiful just getting out in the kind of the wide-open spaces and seeing the mountains come up on the horizon and watching the sunrise uh, this morning. Um, I have four kids, and we are uh, in a very small house in Denver, so just to get out and have peace and quiet for an hour in my car was good for my soul. So thank you for the opportunity to come have this time. <laughs> One of the challenges of living in Denver, of living, uh, we're, we're right in the center of the city, is that the houses are small and old and way too expensive. Uh, I moved here, uh, this April will be 12 years ago that I moved, moved here uh, to do church planning uh, in the city. And um, our house in Texas, in the suburbs in Texas, was literally three times the size of the house that we have here and uh, half the cost, <laughs> and uh, much, much newer. And our family's expanded since then, so that's one of the challenges. So I want to share a little bit of the saga of my, my house and my yard real quick, just, just, to, just to get started. Um, so when we moved in, the house had not been lived in uh, for a while. They told us it had been lived in, but it ends up that it was an underground a dentist office uh, for people who kind of live off the grid in the neighborhood. There were undocumented immigrants that were coming and getting their teeth pulled. And so every, every day, people will knock on our door speaking Spanish and, and, and pointing to their teeth, and I don't speak Spanish. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And a, a few weeks later, uh, a neighbor moved in next door who did speak Spanish, and I said, do you know what's happening? And he goes, oh, yeah, you live in the dentist office. And uh, that's what it's known as. So we actually found teeth in the basement. Apparently, there were dentists who were doing dentistry work uh, for people there, and so we moved into the dentist office. So we thought the house had been lived in, but we moved in, there was something off. It just didn't feel like anybody had been living there. We discovered that the hot water heater was not up to code, that it was dangerous the way it was installed. The uh, toilets overflowed the first day and backed up, that the, the clay pipes in the back, backyard, the house was about 70 years old, so it had the original clay pipes. Tree, tree roots had grown into those, 
And so we had to have the, the, the backyard dug up. It cost about 12 grand to do that and replace the pipe. We found out that our kids couldn't stay in the basement. Uh, we needed an egress window. It was illegal to have them down there until we had an egress window. It was a mess. So needless to say, the fact that in the backyard uh, had weeds up to about here, uh, and it looked like it had never been, been cultivated, uh, that was the least of our problems. So I was able to put that off for years and years. Uh, what we would do is when a, a guest would come over for dinner is I'd get out the mower and I would just mow over the weeds. I don't know if you know, but freshly mowed weeds kind of look like freshly mowed grass if you don't know much about it. And, and we got away with that strategy for, for years. And eventually all the more urgent, expensive things got handled. And finally it was time for me to try a different strategy than weed mowing. So about two years ago, uh, let's call that, let's, for the sake of our illustration, let's call that strategy number one, weed mowing. So then about two years ago, I moved into strategy number two. I was actually in between churches at the time. I was unemployed. It was COVID. It was a hard time. And we didn't have much money. And so I decided I was going to renovate the yard, but I didn't have any money for it. So what we decided is I, as I looked at the yard, again, never been watered, weeds up to your waist. And I decided, here's what I do. I blocked off the yard in the 30 little squares. And I decided that for 30 days straight, I would go out every evening with my shovel and this sort of spade-looking uh, pitchfork thing, and I would till up the, uh, the ground in that square, then I'd hit it real hard, and then I would pull the weeds out and put those into black trash bags. And so I did that 30 days straight until the yard was completely just dirt, not one weed found in it. I filled 15 large, massive-sized black trash bags with just weeds over that. All right, so that's... that's Part, phase one of the second strategy. Second part is to now seed the yard. Now you could do sod, those squares of, of, of grass, but that's expensive. Again, I was unemployed, so we decided to seed the yard. A neighbor lent me seed, and I seeded the yard, which is really uh, hard work because the kids can't step on it, and it has to be watered three times a day, no watering system. So I got these elaborate timers and rigged up this system to be able to do that. About five, six weeks later, beautiful, green, lush grass came up. It was a radical transformation of our, of our yard. So you don't, uh, you don't have to be a, a, um, a landscaping expert to realize between those two strategies that that second strategy was the one that worked. The first one was superficial. It really wasn't a solution. In fact, the weeds would grow back just back as furious and the yard would look just as bad weeks later. We never made any progress with strategy number one. But with the second strategy, it took time it took about two months, blood, sweat, and tears, but there was a radical transformation uh, in, in the yard event, eventually. And so it's really, it was the only strategy that brought transformation to the yard. So let's draw an analogy from that to our spiritual lives. Let's imagine that, for this analogy, that our sins are like those weeds. And so I want to ask you, what does your spiritual look like between those two strategies? Does it feel like you're just sort of sin mowing, just kind of mowing over just the behavior, just the externals, just the superficialities, and that deep down you realize there's something, there's a deeper transformation that needs to happen, or is it more like that second strategy of, of uprooting our sin, getting down into the heart issues, the thinking and feeling issues, those deeply ingrained patterns that have been a part of our lives maybe since as far back as we can remember. I mean, so many times, don't you and I feel like we're doing that first strategy? That it's just grit your teeth, white-knuckle it, getting on the do more, try harder treadmill. And really what happens weeks later, you look back and just like those weeds came back in full growth, our sin is right back. And, and our strategies 
that just deal with the surface, that just deal with the behavior, that just deal with the externals, don't work. And the sin comes back. Maybe it comes back in some new flavors and new directions, but it comes back. So today, if you relate to that at all and you desire deeper heart-level growth, I want to share a couple of basic, simple gospel truths with you that could help you in your journey towards real gospel transformation. If you want to get past just sin mowing, weed mowing, and, want to, and are willing to do the blood, sweat, and tears and get down on your knees and, 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 and get down into the soil of your heart and ask the Spirit to do some real change, I want to help. That's all we're going to talk about today. That's all we're going to talk about. So let's pause and pray because God's the one who gives the growth. It's only God that changes us. We need his help. Let's come to him empty-handed and ask for him to work through his word and do what only he can do. I am powerless to do anything. No, no speaking uh, eloquence can change hearts. We need, we need God himself to move. So let's ask him for his help. Our Father in heaven, you have graciously given us your Holy Spirit that brings us from death to life. It convicts of sin, that, that opens the eyes of our hearts to see the beauty and majesty and glory of your Son so that we see and savor him and are transformed. We need you and you alone. So yes, help, help me as I, as I speak and do work in my heart and also help the hearers. We are just absolutely dependent on your grace and your power. So Spirit, as we talk about you, help me to be faithful to your word and use that word to sow richly into our hearts so we might bear fruit for our joy and for your glory. Move now, Father, we need you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so let's start with this. Let's start with something real basic. I'm gonna start with two simple questions and um, from something we, we're, most of us are familiar with. And here's our two questions we're gonna start with. And by the way, if you grab one of the little um, program things, little guides, I have some fill in the blanks there. If you wanna play along, you can or not, if that's helpful. That's there. So here you go. Here's our two questions. First question is, how do we become Christians? How do we become, how does someone become a Christian? That's question one. Most of us are probably familiar with that. And then secondly, how do we grow deeper as as Christians? That's our big question today. That's where we're, that's the question we're trying to answer today. So let's start with that first question. If I were to ask you today, how does someone become a Christian? Many of us might have the right answer. How do we become Christians? We repent and believe the gospel. In Mark's gospel, as, as, as he describes Jesus' message, he, he sums it up in the simple phrase, the kingdom of God's at hand, the time's fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. So let's talk about that. Repentance is turning away, and faith is turning to. There's sort of uh, two sides of the same coin. Repentance is turning away, turning away from our sin, recognizing we're sinful, recognizing, we, we, rejecting our self-righteousness, that we don't measure up. We have a broken relationship with God. So repentance is turning away from sin, and faith is the turning to, turning to Jesus in faith, to trust that he died the death we deserve to die in our place, that he, he's the one who brings us forgiveness, and we, we trust in him and trust in his work for us. So how do we become Christians? Repent and believe the gospel. Today, if you're not a believer, I admonish you, I, I plead with you, repent and believe the gospel. Begin walking with, with, with God through his son Jesus and be reconciled to God. So that's our first question. Let's, let's look at our second question, our question for today. How do we grow deeper as Christians? We're talking deep, heart level, down at the root, not mowing over, surfacey growth, but, but how do we really grow as Christians? And I believe this is the whole key 
And by the way, I'll confess, I went through seminary and did well in seminary and couldn't answer this question correctly. I discovered this later, sadly. Here it is. Get ready for the secret mystery of how we grow deeper as Christians. Here it is. Repent and believe the gospel. You might have heard that before. Maybe it was in your other blanks you filled in, all right? So faith in the gospel is not just the door by which we enter the Christian life. It's actually the path we walk throughout the Christian life. It's not just the diving board that springs us, and then we dive into deeper things. Yes, it springs us into the faith. Then we dive into its depths and never reach the end of God's grace and the depths of the gospel. Um, uh, We cling to the gospel by faith for our salvation. Yes, and we cling to the gospel by faith for our, our transformation. And so it's not something, the gospel is the ABCs, it's the A to Z. It's not something we, we move past to go on to deeper things. Uh, we move into deeper understandings of it, the fresh applications uh, to our heart with it uh, by faith. So most of us probably get that we become Christians by faith and repentance. But I think many believers, including myself, for years, struggle to know that actually the way we grow is through faith and repentance. So what does that mean? I mean, how does that really help down in the messy realities of of our lives? How does that apply to our problems, your problems with worry, with anger, with lust, with self-centeredness, with pride, with overworking, fear, insecurity, gossip, impatience, substance abuse? So that's our big question today. How do we repent and believe more deeply And how does that get into the fabric, down into the soil of our lives? That's where we're going. We have two simple questions. We have one question about repentance and one about faith. And we'll just unpack those two questions. So the first one on repentance. Question one, repentance. What's the sin underneath all your sin? If we're going to get down on our knees and get down into the soil and get down to the root, down to the core, then we need to ask that question, what's the sin underneath all our sin? If we're going to grow, we've got to dig down and figure that out and repent of that. That's what growth looks like. And then secondly, the faith question. What truth do you need to turn to? How do we cultivate our hearts with the, with the gospel so that we see new kinds of growth and ever-deepening faith? All right, that's where we're going. Let's do the repentance question. Question one, repentance. What's the sin underneath all your sin? So if we want to repent in a way that's not just surface level and superficial, not just mowing, but uprooting, we've got to ask this question. What I want you to see this morning is that underneath all your sin, you name the sin, underneath all your sin, worry, anger, lust, pride, overworking, insecurity, gossip, underneath all of it is a core sin from which all other sins spring. And here it is. Underneath every sin is a lie. There's a blank on your sheet if you want to fill that out. Underneath every sin is a lie. Believing something untrue about God. Or from the other side of the coin, if you want to say it another way, uh, every sin at its deepest root springs from unbelief, not believing what's true about God. You can say that either way. Uh, Think of it this way. When we sin, it's because we've failed to believe some truth of who God says he is and instead have put our trust, our belief, in some lie. This isn't some kind of fringe theory. This is at the center of Scripture, all the way from the beginning of the story, all the way through. You see this all throughout Scripture. You can go back to Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3. You can see it right there. When God created everything, spoke everything into existence, and created the pinnacle of his creation, brought to life our first parents, and they lived in wholeness, in a right relationship with God, with each other, with the creation. All of life was lived in dependence. 
uh, upon God, that he would satisfy all their needs with his goodness. They, they were called to reflect his goodness and his greatness throughout the whole creation, and all things were right. Then we know the story that in Genesis 3, some, it takes a really dark turn, that all of humanity was plunged into darkness, that something happened that fractured the whole creation from the top down. What was it? You might say, well, they ate this fruit and not this fruit. You know, they ate it. But it's not just a dietary issue. It wasn't just they broke some arbitrary little law. The, underneath, the sin underneath their sin is they, it was that they believed a lie. The serpent whispered in their ear, you can't trust what God told you. Did he really say that? There's a fuller, richer, deeper life, and God is stingy and withholding. And if you want to be satisfied, you're going to have to go around him. You can't go to him. That at the core of Adam and Eve's sin, the sin that plunged us all into this misery of this broken world, is that they believed that God was not good and they would have to look elsewhere to be happy and whole and fulfilled. Look how Jesus describes Satan. He says from the very beginning, Satan's been doing this and he's still doing it now. Look at John 8, 44, if you'd put that up. He said, he was, a, speaking of Satan, Jesus says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. So what's the devil's big strategy going all the way back to Genesis 3, all the way up till today? Is to persuade God's people to believe lies. And to contradict the truth of God's word. That the war waged on the turf of the human heart is this war for trusting God's truth. Trusting his word. And to fight against lies. And to reject lies. So when you hear me telling you that your deepest sin underneath all your sin and my deepest sin is ultimately unbelief, that might be kind of a new concept for some of us because we think, well, believers believe and non-believers don't believe, but we need a category to realize that all believers, while we're saved by faith, while we uh, have saving faith, at the same time it's true the Christians continue to battle unbelief throughout their whole life. Look at this quote by John Calvin, a perfect faith is nowhere to be found. So it follows that all of us are partly unbelievers, including John Calvin. (laughs) A perfect faith is nowhere to be found. It follows that all of us are partially, partly unbelievers through our whole life. Tim Chester says it this way in his book, You Can Change. I think this is such a helpful framing of the concept. And this is on your, your notes as well. Our problem lies in the gap between our confessional faith, what we believe in theory, and our functional faith, what we believe in practice. It's a big concept. Let me me say it again. This was just an eye-opener for me big time. Our problem lies in the gap between our confessional faith, what we believe in theory, what we would sing here on a Sunday morning, what we would nod our heads in hearty agreement as Colbert preaches it, yes, I'm with that, and our, our, and our functional faith, the, the, what happens in practice, what happens when the rubber meets the road on Monday morning when the alarm clock goes off. That it's, it's the gap between that, that our spiritual growth is about closing that gap between those two. So let's do this. Let's just let's talk about it. Let's look at some of our own lives, and let's, let's, let's illustrate how, there could, how you and I and I'll, I'll start with one that really applies to me. How you and I have this gap between our confessional faith and, and our, our functional faith. All right? So I just want to ask, does anybody here, you can raise your hand if you want to or not, doesn't matter. Does anybody here struggle with uh, people pleasing? 
I'm going to just go ahead. Go ahead. Anybody? Just a few of us. I love you guys. Okay, we can talk afterwards. All right, in the club with me. Uh, I think pretty much everyone does. Some people do it especially, and I do. And so let me ask you a question. Do you struggle with needing approval? And it could be from anybody. It could be your parents, spouse, boss, coworkers, impressing somebody, your coach, your teachers. Is there anyone in your life that when you have their approval, everything's right in the world, and when you don't, things fall apart? Is there anyone whose approval and disapproval makes your world rise and fall? And when you got their approval, everything is right and you're happy. And when you don't, I don't know what symptoms you have. It might be you get upset. You might get short with people. You might get grumpy. Maybe you withdraw. Maybe, you're, you're, maybe you struggle with anger and frustration at that point. So um, if you have that in your mind, that there's someone out there, maybe it's yourself. Some, a lot of people I counsel in pastoral counseling beat themselves up to a pulp, so maybe it's yourself. But is there anyone out there, uh, you have that in mind, uh, whose approval and disapproval make your world rise and fall? Uh, maybe, maybe it's even you. Let's take this gospel truth here, simple one. God is gracious, so you don't have to prove yourself. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. So our confessional belief, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we are saved by grace through faith. This is a gift of God. It's not by our works, so no one can boast. That right now, you, if you are a believer, you have all the approval of God. The fact, the way that God feels about his son, all the delight and approval and joy he has in his son, he has for you, because you are in his son, because you've been clothed with his son's perfect righteousness. The creator God of the universe approves of you and delights in you. You have his approval forever. All the approval you long for, you already have. That's true. We confessionally believe that. Let's talk about, and then when Colbert, when Colbert preaches it, we nod our heads, we sing it in songs. We do confessionally believe it. It's, it's genuine. But something happens on Monday morning when the alarm clock goes off. We end up, we just get sucked back into this world of striving. Let's just say it's at work. Of striving to approve the approval of our bosses and our coworkers. And when we don't get it, we withdraw, we get angry, we get frustrated, we get short with people. Maybe we overeat or overdrink and and. and we, we, we struggle with that. So there's this gap between our confessional belief and our functional belief. Sunday morning, we confessionally believe the truth. God is gracious. I don't need to prove, prove myself. Monday morning, we prove our functional unbelief. God's grace is not enough. It's not enough. I, st- I, I better prove myself or else it won't satisfy others. Others' opinions do matter that much. So this is really the essence of gospel growth. It's closing the gap between these two. So I wrote up a prayer for people pleasers, including myself, and I'm, I'm going to show you what it would say. Let's talk about what it, would, what it would sound like to pray and confess of that sin underneath the sin. Let me give you a people pleasers prayer here. You can just listen to it and pray it for yourself if you want. Here you go. Here's what it can sound like. Some of us need a language because all we know is the surface level behavior. We don't even know that we need language to even know how to repent of our unbelief. So here's what it might sound like. A father in heaven I see myself right now being angry and rude and frustrated. You can pick your own sins. <laughs> because, I, because I don't have this person's approval. I'm happy when I have it and depressed when I don't. Please forgive me for believing this person is more important than you. I repent for believing the lie that his approval is what I need for life and joy when your approval is really all I need and I already have it. Forgive me for not believing that you're gracious so I don't need to prove myself. So today I can work hard not for approval, but out of approval, your approval that I already have. 
not for the approval of others, which I might or might not have right now. You're enough. All right, that's just one example of, of how you might dig down into the roots and get down to the belief and unbelief issue. All right, so that's what inside out, heart level gospel change looks like. Repenting more deeply, repenting of the sin beneath the sin, getting down to the unbelief and addressing it at that level. That's what uprooting looks like and sounds like. Let's go on to our second question. We're moving quickly. The faith question, what truth do you need to turn to? What does it look like to believe more deeply? What does it look like to cultivate your heart before the gospel so you bear new fruit and to get down into deeper faith? So um, let's just look at a little teaching of Jesus. There's this place that's great. If you have a chance to this week, read it. It's in John 8. I'll just give you a little excerpt out of it. But Jesus says to the crowd, he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And what we know here is that the reason you're enslaved to sin is because of those, those lies we believe underneath the sin. That's what enslaves us, is what we believe, what we cling to. Then after that, he says that, if you could put this slide up. So he follows it with this. Look at this. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciple, disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you abide in my word, then you have the truth that liberates you from the lies, and then you're free. And so, as I've been reading various books on, on gospel transformation, one of the most helpful little tools, little resources, is this. It's these four little statements about truths about who God is. And it's called the four G's. I don't know if you guys have ever talked about that before, but it's in Tim Chester's book, uh, You Can Change. And the idea is to look at the lies uh, behind our sin that we're believing. It's to expose those and then to, to speak the corresponding truth about who God is to that. So if you'll put those up, here are four truths. These are also on your, your handout about who God is. And I've got to tell you, I've, I've been doing pastoral counseling for about 20 years, and, and I've been using this tool for about the last decade. And I've got to tell you, I, it's hard for me to think of a time that I didn't utilize one of these. This isn't everything you can know about God, but these four foundational things, so many core things come down. There's, there's a lot here that's helpful. We can't unpack everyone in great detail today, but I want to give these to you to begin processing. First, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God's sovereign over all things. He's the one in control, so I don't have to be. The lie is I have to be in control. So see, God's great, so I don't have to. God's glorious, so we don't have to fear others. When God is big in our hearts and we see him as he is, then people are small. God's glorious, so we don't have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. I counsel a number of men who are struggling with, with lust. And, and pornography. And this is the truth we go to. God's good. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You will lead me in the paths of joy. In, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. We've got to go to truth to show that God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. Those are empty. Those are the things we look to. And God's gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. I just gave you an example about that with people pleasing. So let's just look at one of these for a moment, just to kind of flesh out what this might look like. Let's look at God is great. So we don't have to be in control. So you and I often believe that we have to be in control, that we're the ones who have to hold our lives together, that if we work hard enough, if we're smart enough, that we can control our lives, we can control the outcomes, and that it's on us. And that we functionally, really, we're our own saviors through our hard work, through pulling the right levers and pushing the right buttons, that if we could just do that. So in the scriptures, though, we see that only God is sovereign, that he's the only one in control. Jesus taught, a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky apart from the Father's will. He said, and the psalmist says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. 
In Hebrews it says, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's upholding the cosmos. He's the cosmic adhesive that holds the whole universe together. He's the one in control. But when we fail to trust that God is great, then we, we try to play God. We try to hold our own lives together. And that leads to stress and anger and despair and fear. But if God's word is true, then that confronts the lies that you and I have a choice between a, a counterfeit world where you and I believe in our own self-sovereignty and the real, real world where God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his, pers- per, uh, his purpose. So freedom's found in rejecting the ridiculous lie of self-sovereignty and embracing faith in the glorious sovereignty of King Jesus who upholds the universe by the word of his power, not us. That's just an example. If you're struggling with anxiety over just trying to control your life, thinking, if I could just get here, if I could just do these life hacks and just get this organized, if I could just feed my kids the perfect organic food, if I could just get my finances to this spot and follow the Dave Ramsey thing, then I can finally exhale. It will never come. You're never going to be sovereign. You can never figure out how to manipulate your life perfectly where you're the sovereign king. God loves you enough that he's exposing the, dis- the delusion of your self-sovereignty. See, so actually see God's great. So you don't have to be in control. You can exhale and rest. Right, so maybe this sounds kind of conceptual. Let's, let's, let's go back into that story we read at the beginning, this account uh, from Mark's gospel, from Mark 9. And this is such a great rubber meets the road illustration of, of what this looks like in our, in our lives. So just to jump into the story, a man brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus for help, for deliverance. And we'll jump in at verse 20. Mark 9, verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire and the water to destroy him. This young man has been tormented by demons since childhood. He, when he gets close to Jesus, the demon causes him to convulse, foam at the mouth, to fall down and roll around. And the dad tells him he's been trying to kill him his whole life. I can't fathom. My, my children have had some sicknesses uh, lately, some, really, some, some, some heavy sickness that we're fighting through. I can't fathom as a father watching a child suffer in this way. Look at the desperate plea of the boy's father. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. So Jesus is going to deliver this boy in just a second. But he's also after the father, the boy's father. He's after his heart as well. If you can, anything is possible. Look what the father cries out. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe help my unbelief. That's the cry of our hearts to the God who knows us down to our depths. I believe. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. The father immediately confesses that he has some faith, but also acknowledges his spiritual weakness. And he needs Jesus to create something in him so he can believe more firmly. He doesn't, and look, Jesus doesn't reject his father and say, oh, I detect a gap between your confessional and functional faith. Come back when you got it right. No, no. Jesus loves for us to come to him like this. I believe, help me in my unbelief. I, 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 I don't sense it. I, don't, I don't, don't, don't taste it as a reality. I, I know it in my head, but when the problems hit me, I forget these things and I go back into disbelief. Jesus gladly receives this father's plea for more faith. 
He casts the demon out and commands that the demons never return to the boy. He raises the boy up back to health. This is what gospel growth looks like. We come to Jesus with our desperate need. We have faith, but we need more help. And our Father is thrilled to receive us when we cry out to him and collapse into his arms in our need. Our Father's thrilled to receive us in that. We cry out, you have to create something in me that I can't create in me. I can't white knuckle this. I can't grit my teeth. I can't manufacture it. I need your spirit to create fresh faith in me. I believe. Help. Help me in my unbelief. So this morning, that's the cry of our hearts to a God who's committed to move heaven and earth to work all things together for our greatest good, to make you and me more and more like Jesus. That's what inside-out, heart-level, gospel-motivated change looks like. Clearing the way so we behold more of his greatness, his glory, his goodness, more of his grace, and through the eyes of faith, our beholding is our becoming. So as you've listened to God's word this morning, has the Spirit been convicting you of what unbelief you need to turn from in repentance and what liberating truths you need to turn towards and embrace more deeply. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to transition and we're going to ask the Spirit to keep moving and keep revealing himself and keep showing these truths. So let's transition to a time of reflection together. And On your handouts and on the screen, I have these four G's there. And I hope you'll, as you leave today, take those with you and I'll put a, a select passages with those that you could explore this week. If, if you want to It would be helpful to find specific verses that speak to each of these things. So feel free to look at those passages now or or later. Um, But but let me ask, what there do you see in those four Gs that might be the specific truth that you need to confront a specific lie that's the root, that's the sin underneath your sin? So where are the unevangelized regions in your soul where you need to cry out, I believe, help, help me in my unbelief. Where is God creating a hunger and a thirst that only he can satisfy? This morning, let's turn away from broken cisterns that could never hold water and turn towards Christ, the fountain of living waters, so we might drink, be satisfied, and no longer thirst. Let's pray, and let's transition to a time of reflection together. Check those four out. Discuss them. Talk about them. And wouldn't it be great if from every table we could cry out in prayer, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And see what God will do. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you sustain us by faith. It's the gift of God. So Father, we just ask this morning, would you expose those unevangelized regions of our soul, areas where we need the gospel preached freshly to us, where we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, where we need to cling to who you are, that you are great and you are good and you are gracious and you are glorious. Would you free us? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But disciples, if you're my disciples, you'll abide in my word. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Would you show show us what truths about you will set us free this morning as we cling to them? And we ultimately need your spirit's help. We might just need it like this. We need new spiritual taste buds to see and savor your goodness and greatness and the glory in a fresh way. It's all rooted in your word and powered by your spirit. You get all the glory. We get the joy. So move among us. Move in us. Move through us this morning. It's in your son's beautiful name we pray. Amen. So check out the four G's. Talk. 
Maybe you need time to explore. You can even say, I think it might be this one. And you can process it together and talk through it and go from there. All right. So we're going to transition to communion. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Andy. Where is Andy? Thank you. Good. You know what? Uh, yeah, I think it was Jared Wilson that said, you know, it's church is for telling the gospel to Christians. And uh, we need to continue to repent. Our, our whole life is a life of repentance. Uh, and Isaiah, uh, Isaiah uh, 57, <laughs> uh, it goes like this, Thus says the Lord, uh, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, whose name is holy, who inhabits eternity. I live in a high and holy place and in the hearts of the contrite and the lowly in heart to revive the spirit of the lowly in heart and revive the spirit of, uh, of the lowly. <laughs> I forgot to rest, but uh, the, the point is, um, yeah, we got nothing to bring. We just rest in Jesus. So, um, yeah, as we go to communion, um, here we open. We practice open communion. Um, so anybody who has professed Christ uh, as their Savior can come to the table, take the elements. Uh, anybody who has not done that, um, uh, as we come to this time to remember Jesus, so this is for those who have put their faith in him. So if you haven't done that, you're welcome to. And if you need to talk to somebody, please do. And we can uh, worship many ways. Uh, we can give. There's giving on the on the website, on our app, in the corner. We're going to sing, and uh, we're going to praise God, and uh, we're going to pray. So uh, Jessica and I will we'll be in the corner. If anybody needs prayer, or you can pray at the table. You can pray quietly. Uh, I think prayer is one of the most important things we can do. So uh, um, as we come to the table for communion. We do it in remembrance to Jesus. He said, as you, uh, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So I'll pray. Yeah, Lord, uh, we have nothing to offer. We just come to you and uh, help us to remember you, what you've done, and uh, who you are and how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen.